Fireflies Unite with Kia, your weekly podcast from the perspective of individuals thriving with a mental illness. We are normalizing the conversation about mental health within communities of color to foster mental wellness and empowerment. Happy Monday and welcome to another episode of the Fireflies Unite podcast with me, Kia, where our mission is to bring light into darkness by sharing the stories of those thriving with a mental illness. I hope that everyone is doing well and that you enjoyed your weekend. I What did I do this weekend? So I went on a social media detox just for Saturday. I have been adding to my calendar for the next few weeks to take some weekends off and not be on social media. It's just really important to pull away. While social media is great, I met so many new listeners on social media. I found some amazing guests for the podcast on social media. It's great for me to market and promote the podcast, but it can be very, very overwhelming. And considering that social media used to be a huge trigger for me, It's not as bad as it used to be, Um, but it's still important to pull away and just focus on myself because I want to make sure that I'm doing things that is fueling my mind, my body, and my spirit, and just to make sure that I am mentally healthy. I cannot have a podcast where I'm interviewing people or I'm sharing insight with you and I'm not living what I encourage other people to do so yeah that has been something that I have been incorporating um, into my into my life is just social media detoxes and also I would like to welcome any new members of the Fireflies family I've been speaking I've been having a lot of speaking events lately And many of you were really excited to listen to the podcast. So if I recently met you, thank you so much for tuning in and welcome, welcome, welcome. On last week's episode, we talked about creating a support group with my big sister, Liz. And I hope you all got some great insight from that. I've actually, I got some really great feedback about the episode and a bit about actually you know what before I even go into that if you did not listen to last week's episode which was part one on creating a support system after a suicide attempt I need you to stop don't listen to this episode well I want you to listen to it but I want you to come back I want you to go back and listen to last week's episode again because that's part one today we're going to hear part two on creating a support system after a suicide attempt And last week, Liz just shared how she had very little knowledge about mental illness, even though she knew that it existed. She also discussed how supporting me in my recovery has allowed her to look at her life and be more mindful about her mental health, especially because she's a mom, she's a wife and a full-time student, and that is a lot to juggle. And so we must be mentally healthy and pull away and be very in tune with how things are impacting us. And also, I encourage you guys to share the podcast to anyone you think that can benefit from the podcast, from the stories that are shared and resources that are uh, shared. 
please don't keep fireflies as your best kept secret. I really need your help to spread the message and to continue to raise awareness about mental health within communities of color. If my podcast can help save someone's life, if an article can save someone's life, if sharing my story um, at an event could save someone's life, that truly is what this about. This that truly is what this is about, and that makes me so happy to know that. I don't even know if happy is the word. Maybe just inspired. No, fulfilled is the word. It's very fulfilling to be able to make an impact on someone. But when you can impact someone from ending their life, from to encouraging them to follow through with their treatment plan and really being mindful about how things impact their mental health. Um, If they have a mental illness and they thought that their life was kind of over or they lost hope and really didn't see how they could exist with their mental illness and they're inspired by the stories that they share that means the world to me it really really does um i people have been texting me or um, mainly just texting me and saying hey i have this friend or i have this sister or i have this relative um and i shared their podcast with with uh with them i've shared your podcast with them because I wanted them to hear your story or they'll say can you talk to such and such because I really think um they can benefit from your story and that does it really means a lot to me because I know where I was two years ago was a little over two years so it's like two years and two months (laughs) so I know where I was like I just remember that was the darkest place I ever been in my life like I just remember like really being so sick and not being able to move and being paralyzed. Like, I I mean, I just remember what that empty feeling uh, was like or like that numbing feeling and to struggle with suicidal thoughts and not even think that you're going to make it. Like, I did not see 2018 in 2015 or 2016 when I had my attempt. I did not see the future. Like, I was for certain that I was not going to be here. And so the fact that I'm here and using (laughs) everything that I went to school for, uh, from production to PR and communications, just all those skills to raise awareness and be a mental health advocate, it has been very, very fulfilling. And I say all that to say you never know what someone is going through. You, a lot of times we look at things on social media and think everything is okay, but sometimes people are overcompensating and trying to impress people when they actually don't feel good on the inside. And so I just, you know, continue to pray and believe that the audience will grow and that it will make an impact. So thank you again for just listening and just really tuning in week after week y'all i know i say it all the time but i really do appreciate it my words can never just really express how grateful i am for people who just tune in week after week i'm always doing my best to make tweaks to the episode because at the end of the day while yes this may be the platform that i created and i'm working really hard on it week after week I do take feedback from people and make changes because it has to be a great experience for the listener, for you all. If the experience is not great for y'all, then I don't have a podcast. I can't 
I don't want to talk to myself. So it's really important, you know, for me to make sure that I'm always growing um, as a person, that I'm always, you know, growing spiritually, that I'm always growing in my craft and really doing the things that I need to do to make sure that I deliver the best podcast that I possibly can deliver. Okay, y'all. So before we get into the interview, I... I don't even know where to begin and like what I should say to even talk about this recent incident. So for those of you who don't know, uh, Shahid Basil, he was a 34 year old who was shot and killed by the police in Brooklyn, New York, just last Wednesday. Now, All of the things, I mean, anything that happens as it pertains to police brutality for black and brown people, it, I I really don't even have the, the right words to say, but it is very sad. Um, it's very frustrating. I have five brothers, five brothers, and I'm the oldest. And so I tend to be a bit overprotective when it comes to my brothers because I see what's happening in the world and I see how I don't even know if I want to say society or how white supremacists or people who don't value their lives and see black men as a threat. It's very, very disheartening. And the reason why I want to talk about Shahid Vassal is because It was reported by his father, I believe, that he has bipolar disorder. He was holding a metal pipe, but it was mistaken for him holding a gun, according to authorities. And I'm going to just take that with a grain of salt because they mistake water guns for real. uh, They mistake so much for a gun. And I just don't understand why... If you're going to shoot someone, shoot someone in the foot, in the leg, but not necessarily shoot to kill, maybe shoot to bring them down. But I can't say in New York if they have any type of mental health first aid training for their police officers, but it is something that's very crucial for people who work in, in, for any police officer, for it pretty much anyone who does any type of public service type of job um even such something that you may see as minor as a security guard i truly believe even security guards should have a mental health first aid um certification because it helps you how to know and how to interact with people who are mentally ill i mean my experience wasn't like that like the police came to my house and you know like broke the I'm sorry, I always say door, but it's not the door. Like, broke into the window to because of my friend notifying them about my suicide attempt. But it is so, it's so heartbreaking and so scary. And that's why, like, I do my best not to watch the news. I, even social media, yes, I'm on social media. Again, I'm very active on it. But I limit my amount of scrolling time. I truly do. Because when I see videos like this or when I hear stories about school shootings, I get it's triggering. It's very triggering. Um, 
it doesn't they haven't necessarily made me go back into a depression no but they do make me sad and um sometimes i get upset and sometimes i get frustrated and it just really throws it just throws my whole my mood off and i just i can't take it like it's just so heavy that's the word it's so so heavy and so this shooting of shaheed vassell basil i really hope i'm saying his name right his last name right it I, I, if someone asks me, like, how do you feel about it? And it, it goes back to every other single shooting that has ever happened as it pertains to police brutality and people being acquitted. And I know this, this topic is a bit controversial as it pertains to Black Lives Matter. Um, but I have to talk about it because I'm black and I'm a woman and I have, and I'm, again, I'm the oldest of uh, five brothers so this could always be any one of my brothers it's sad because they have to black men they have to move maneuver in a in a society very differently but even if you they do move differently they're still are always considered a threat it's just that a lot of things that are done um when it comes to the police or they say that they fear for their life a lot of it has to do with uh, ignorance and fear as it pertains to black men and I just honestly don't know what it is that we can do I don't know what how much marching we can do or how long we will have to march rather I don't know how many petitions I have to sign um, I used to be the person who always you know write long novels on Facebook um, when things like this happen but I just can't do it no more because I it's it's just takes so it it impacts me it takes so much out of me like when I see a a shooting like it almost drains something drains part of me I just get I get extremely sad and just watching the news and hearing all these bad things and terrible things happening is is like I said it's very disheartening and I really hope that justice is served for this family I pray, I will be praying for this family, for the Brooklyn community, and that laws are put into place to ensure that police officers know how to properly, properly deal with people who are mentally ill. Because you don't know what, uh, when they have that interaction, what type of space they are in. I can only imagine now granted they when I think about when the police came into my house I was very um lethargic like I was pretty much out of it uh I I mean I I was talking to them and like I said the police officers were very nice to me and they told me you know if I if I didn't agree to go they would handcuff me um but I didn't feel at that time I didn't feel fearful maybe I didn't feel fearful because I already felt dead and I wanted to die. I, I really don't know all of all of that. But I say all this to say I, it was something that I had to address on the podcast. A lot of times I may not get a chance to talk about current events that happen because there are instances where the episodes are so far pre-recorded in advance that I don't get a chance to talk about it. But I thought it was important for me to address this because I thought I was going to write a uh, article on it on my blog or either on one of the platforms that I write for which I still may very well do 
but I had to talk about it. I would like to know what are some of your thoughts as it pertains to not just police brutality, but just how how police officers should the type of training or your thoughts on as it pertains to interacting with people who are mentally ill. Granted, there are so many laws and so many things that need to change, but we I can't address all of that in this one particular episode. We would be talking for hours. Um, and so I really think it's important that we have these very tough conversations and I know it may make some people uncomfortable, but I have to talk about it because it's impacts me and a lot of times we think just because it didn't happen to us personally or like a family member that we know personally that it doesn't impact us but it truly does because it can be your family member any day like it truly can and I will be following this story and doing my best as I follow this story to think of what can be done. Like, I don't know what to say. If I'm being really honest, I don't know all that can be done. I do know that proper training should be taken into account for all police officers when it comes to people, when it comes to mental illness. Or does that mean that people who are mentally ill, do we also wear bracelets? I mean, but how would they even see a bracelet? Because they could mistake, I don't know, they mistake a bracelet for maybe a gun I, I really don't know because they come up with something different every single time it's uh, something always looks like a gun but I mean do we wear uh bracelets like for people who have seizures or diabetes or um who may be allergic to things so that if someone passes out but I honestly just have no idea what can be done like I just don't know so please let me know your thoughts on this case and what you think we can do as it pertains to mental health for you know people of color black and brown people when we are walking around and you know we are battling with mental illness and sometimes you know people could be roaming the streets maybe they're homeless um maybe they don't have anywhere to go or you know there are mentally ill people who also see things or hear things and talk to themselves but that doesn't that that's the thing people who may do that their uh research shows that they're less likely to be harmful to anybody doesn't i mean yes it does happen people who are mentally ill they can be harmful to other people and i really really hope and i pray that again like i said justice is served for this because this is this is ridiculous. This is just downright, it's, it's a disgrace. Like it, it truly is. I do my best to, I don't always want to get into politics and, but I, I can't, there's no way I can sit here and be quiet and have this platform and not discuss current events. So I, I needed to add more to the story because I want to make sure I have as much uh, detail and I do my due diligence as possible to make sure I have as much of the story um, as possible. So I watched the video and the video is showing Sahid pointing, pointing at different people on the street. Um, and they must, again, some people called and said, you know, there's this crazy man on the street and he's pointing a gun 
or what appears to be like a gun. It's a clip of him standing on a street corner and he's facing the intersection holding the pipe with both of his hands like stretched out. And it was then that the officers opened fire on, on him. That's according to an article by the Washington Post. So that's why they're, they justified, I guess why they justified killing him. I just wanted to make sure that I added that piece of information in there because it's crucial to say, because I don't want anyone to say I'm biased or I didn't do all my research. Like I like I said, y'all, I'm just really speechless about this, about this whole thing. It, it it's taken a lot. It's taken a lot out of me to even be here, you know, on the podcast talking about it. That's all I have for to address that case for now. And so, without further ado, let's jump back into the interview with Liz. So here is part two. And like even the time when you came to the house and you were like, okay, you need to come to over oh, to the yeah. house. And she brought the whole squad, the whole family. They had the big truck and came to get me. And she like helped me clean up because like I had clothes all over the place and I didn't shower in a couple days. And so it was it's things like that. Yeah. So basically, there was probably about a three month period before she moved in with us that um, I I was kind of like your mother in a sense Mm -hmm. at that time, helping you through these situations. So when you would reach out to me and on that particular occasion that Taki is talking about, she reached out to me and then like earlier in the day and then I wouldn't hear anything for like a few hours. And then I'm trying to reach out to her and I get like really short responses, which if you guys have learned anything about Takia at this point, Takia does not give short responses. (laughs) So certainly not in text. And (laughs) so then I started like, you know, my spiny senses started tingling. Like I feel like something's wrong. And so I just said, you know what? I looked at my husband. We had just gone to the gym. We were getting ready to get some something to eat for the kids and stuff. And I said, you know what? I was like, I'm so sorry, babe, but I think we really need to go over there and check on her because something's just not feeling right. And so sure enough, again, that supportive husband of mine um, drove all of us over there to her apartment, which is about a 35 minute drive, mind you. And I went and knocked on the door. Everything was pitch black inside and she didn't come to the door for a little while. So I'm calling her and then I'm knocking again. I'm like, I know she's here because I, the last conversation I had with her, the last little quick text message, she was here. So, you know, I just waited a little longer and finally she came to the door and I was like, what's going on? And she was like, oh, I just, you know, I just, I couldn't get it together basically is kind of what she said. She's like, I'm just, I feel tired. And I'm looking around the apartment and it it did. It looked like a little bit of a disaster zone. It looked like, you know, she meant to wash clothes, but didn't really get there. Um, Like the apartment hadn't really been kept. Dirty dishes in the dish, um, in the sink. Um, Her bed wasn't, she was, and that was the other thing I think was like the, the real clue as to kind of where she, the state that she was in is um, she was laying on the bed with no sheets on it, literally just laying on the mattress, even though the sheets were on the bed, ready to like washed and ready to be put on the bed. She just didn't 
put them on there. And I was just like, okay, of like who lays on a bed on a mattress without the sheets. But in my mind, that's kind of how I registered it. Like, okay, her things are in disarray. And then you made a comment. You said, well, I, I meant to pick up, but I didn't. And I said, okay, I know how overwhelming it can be for me when my house is in chaos. So I'm sure that the same thing applies. If not, it maybe even heightened more. So I said, okay, we can fix this. Let's fix this real quick. Let me just gather up all these dirty clothes, put them in a, in a laundry basket. Because in my mind at that point, I said, I can't leave her alone. I said, she needs to come and stay with us for a couple days. You know, just give her some extra TLC in a sense to so that she wasn't alone. Because um, again, you know, you read through the, the textbook information of this is what you should and shouldn't do, signs that you should look out for and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, leaving a person that is going through a, a depression episode is not to leave them alone. <laughs> the, so I said, okay, no problem. Yeah, I had already kind of pre-warned my husband that she, we would be um, probably coming back with her. So that's what we did. We had already range for you to have a, a place to lay your head comfortably and stuff. And, um, but the strange, the funny thing about it was I actually had to go for surgery. I was having surgery in a couple days. And so I hadn't really thought the whole thing through because I wouldn't necessarily be able to look after her because I was going to be in surgery. I was going to be recovering from what I was going through. Therefore, my husband was going to be taking care of me. So it kind of left us in a little um, pickle, if you will, but we, we worked it out mm -hmm. because I ended up calling your cousin mm -hmm. and arranged for her to come stay with you after that. And she stayed with you, what, for a night or two after that, mm -hmm. I think it was. Um, but those are just kind of some of the, the challenges that I had to pretty much work through on Takiya's behalf. I had to help her write the letters for her lease to get out of her lease and to kind of follow up with her to make sure that she contacts her doctor to get the letter that we need to break her lease based on the Maryland law that we spoke about. Um, you know, I kind of, we looked after her when I started getting these feelings like, yeah, she needs to come stay with us for a couple days and took all of that on. And I just made sure, yes, we left her apartment, um, took picked all up, of our clothes. I took all of her dirty clothes, washed them, washed them for her. I didn't fold them, but I did wash them. <laughs> <laughs> I did wash them. Um, wash the dishes at the wash apartment. the dishes at the apartment. Um, I would have vacuumed. You made up my have, bed. I made up your bed so that when you got home, you could just go ahead and lie in a nice, comfortable, made bed. Um, put helped you put all of your clothes away okay. that were clean that was in your room. Basically, we straightened up her entire apartment so that when she came home, it was a relaxing environment once again, so that she wasn't going back into anxiety and chaos, if that, that makes sense. Because I just felt like I, she wasn't comfortable being in that position at that time. And funny enough, it, a lot of this was stuff that I personally feel. So I, I related to her on so many levels. Yeah. The more that I've become a, a mom of multiple kids, uh, you know, I, I was a single mom for a very long time, but then I have multiple kids now. And so the, it's, it's a necessity to have organization in the middle of chaos because otherwise it's you're just living i don't know in my my eyes it's just like you're just going to keep making more issues and it's going to be harder for you to clean and harder for you if you don't pick up after yourself on either a daily basis 
hourly basis, whatever you're comfortable with, but that's just how I function. So I know that when the kids have brought every single last toy out and it's all spread out throughout the house, the couch is um, a mess because the kids are jumping on it and everything's flying everywhere and they're eating, making messes. Like if I didn't clean any of that up, I would probably go insane. Mm -hmm. Because it starts to affect you mentally and emotionally. And even so, like, that's how I know that one of the things that something is wrong, because I'm generally, I'm a pretty tidy person. Mm -hmm. So if the house is looking a mess, that's generally how I'm feeling on the inside. Mm -hmm. So it does play a role, you know, how your physical environment is set up, just not necessarily with the people, but like the visual appearance of it. Um, And I'm a true believer in, you know, like energy. And so I'm like, there's no way that a person can feel at ease or at peace if their place is a mess. mess. And there's even, I can't remember the exact quote, but uh, Patrice Washington on her podcast, the Redefining Wealth podcast, she talks about how clutter is the physical manifestation of clutter that's happening in the mind. And I'm like, I truly believe true facts, true facts. (laughs) I believe that to be true. And so when my place was in disarray, that's exactly how I was feeling. And granted, when I came back, was I a hundred percent better? Absolutely not. But my environment felt a bit better. I had someone there, so I wasn't by myself. And then I could at least lay in my bed and okay, I'm at least my place is okay. Mm -hmm. I felt a little bit better. I still was struggling with like my thoughts of suicide. I still wasn't taking my medication, Mm -hmm. but it was, I felt like just a step to making me at least feel like, okay, your place is okay. So Mm -hmm. eventually everything is going to be okay. Right. So let me add, let me add to that where I think the other thing is, you know, I mentioned that during that three months, so there was the apartment situation and all that entailed to make sure that she could exit in the most respectable and financially sound manner. And then also there was, you know, just her kind of roller coaster and ups and downs of, you know, kind of managing her symptoms, managing her emotions her decisions and those emotions that came with it and stuff. There was also her moving physically. (laughs) So I think at that point, Takiya had had realized who she can rely on and who she cannot. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, I was pretty primarily, well, I say I, but my family is really the primary people that she could rely on. So then it was, it became kind of like an attachment, if you will, where it was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to ask Liz, you know, this is what I've got going on. And I'm going to ask Liz, whether it's for advice or guidance or problem solving or what, it just seemed like now all of a sudden I'm, I'm her go-to to figure everything out. Cause again, she couldn't think through clearly, but at that time I wasn't fully aware of that fact. Um, I was still figuring it out through that entire process. When she, when it came time to figure out and coordinate how she was going to actually move all of her stuff out. This is a moment that I had to kind of take a step back for a second, because while My husband and I could have moved her completely ourselves. I felt like it wasn't fair to us to have to take on all of that responsibility. So then I kind of did a little bit of pushback to Takiya where it was like, 
okay, I understand that you're you're trying to move out. And yes, you're moving in with us, but let's, we've got a lot going on ourselves and we need to take that in, into consideration. So we can't overwhelm ourselves trying to help Takia through her transition. It wouldn't be a healthy environment for her to come into, if that makes sense. So I was trying to figure out how can we do this where it's beneficial for everyone. Um, so we had, I said, we'll take all the stuff that you plan on bringing to our house because it's coming to our house. So yeah, we'll take on that responsibility and help you move that stuff. But if there is stuff which she did have that is either going to trash mm-hmm. or it's going to somebody else, like you need to coordinate that. And then also that we can't be the only people helping you move. Like you need to try to enlist other people to help you move because that's not fair to us either. We're exhausting ourselves to try to help what's going on with you. That's not fair to us either. So wait, yeah, I wanted to inter- interject. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually remember that because it was like I felt I remember feeling like really bad And I remember calling my mom and saying, like, mommy, I feel really bad because they're helping me move. But and I did ask other people. It just so happened that they happened to flake or something came up. And I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, it it was it did make me upset because I was like, now I have to rely on them. They already helping me with everything else doing a lot. And so I, I was very mindful of that. And so, like, I did have um, a former co-worker who now is also a great friend. Like, he came and helped me, and as well as Dom, he came with your husband, and they, like, threw the dressers and stuff away that I was no longer going to keep. Mm-hmm. And so, like, he, you know, he he did come through, and they literally got that done in, I don't know, maybe 45 minutes yeah. or less, way less than that. Yeah. It was, it took them no time. And so, again, I was, like, still doing my best to provide all my other resources, but, I think during that time, it it truly showed me like who has your back, because there are so many people who will say, like, let me know if you need anything. And that thing that that's very open ended. And it also kind of it gets under my skin a tad bit just because when you do say when you do say, okay, this is what I need. Can you do this? Or then they'll say yes. And then they'll flake or I during that time, I truly learn the people who really wanted to support me because I remember talking to you and I was saying like how I had one of um, someone who was really going to help me and I thought that they were going to help me but because they were family yeah but then I realized okay this person really didn't want to help me right. because if they if they would have if they did want to help me they would have made it uh they would have not have made an excuse or they would have done everything that they needed to do to make it happen because right. at the end of the day anything that you want done or anything that you need you always find a way to make it happen right so that was one of the things that I had to learn and it was a hard pill to swallow to um, know that the people that you thought were really there for you that have been in your inner circle of your life pretty much Mm -hmm. and they weren't there when not when you needed them the most but when again when they said let me know if you need anything I'll help you and then you pull that card and they're not really there to help you that it's like the, the reality sets in on what can I really either do and this goes back to one of your your past podcasts where it's like do I keep them in my life or do I have they served their purpose and I need to move on? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that was another thing, too, because I learned that and this is something that my mom always shared with me. She said there are 
a lot of people in your life, but there are certain people you only can get certain things from. And I said, well, yeah, she said like, well, some people you may get emotional and physical. So I mean, well, <laughs> not physical, <laughs> physical if it's a love thing, but emotional and mental support. There are other people you may get support financially, like mm -hmm. my aunt who unfortunately passed away from cancer last year. She supported me financially. I won't even mention the amount of money that a check that's the biggest check anyone has ever written me but like she was able to do that for me you know to support me financially when I was in the process of transitioning like ever since I got out of the hospital it has been a roller coaster like it's been it's been a lot and I've been really wanting some uh, consistency or some stability I guess in my life and it's been hard to get that because it was still new and so during that time of just really finding out who really who really cared for me, who really supported me. And it can be, it's different in so many ways because not everybody can support you the same, but however you support me, I just, you know, or support anyone is like, just lit, um, do what you said that you would do. Yeah. And so I, I, that's something I had to learn is not everybody can support you the same way. Cause sometimes I would get in the mindset of comparing like what you did or what uh, Dom did to what someone else could do. And that was something I had to work through in therapy and say, no, everyone's support as what they can do is different and right. don't compare them because everyone has different things going on in their life. Right. But what I think is the most important given your, your, your treatment and your recovery plan that you're in now is what I hope that we give to you on a, on a consistent and daily basis, which is the emotional and the mental support so that you are able to thrive and be successful. That was always, and I'll, I will say this to the end, that has always been my husband and I's number one goal is that we want to see Takiya progress and we want to see her succeed. And so whatever is the details are of that, as long as we see her progressing and we see her succeeding, what is it that we are doing to help her push forward and not go backwards? That's always been our common goal. And that's been our number one goal is regardless of whether she is goes back to work for uh, you know someone else or for a company and, or if she is continuing her podcast, whatever her she does in her life, pretty much, we just want to support what makes her happy at the end of the day. And I, I think that's really one of our number one mottos that we live by and is we just want to make sure that whatever's going on, that our kids are happy, that we're happy individually, but as a family, as a, as a married couple, that happiness and love is pretty much what we live off of. And then from there, we've just been really blessed along the way. So before we wrap up, there's one last question I wanted to ask. What advice would you give to someone who is unsure of how to support someone with a mental illness? Uh, well, first and foremost, foremost is to make sure that you educate yourself and also to ask a lot of questions because believe it or not, the conversations that Tahia and I have, you know, everything, everybody's different and every illness is different for everyone. So even though Takia has depression and generalized anxiety disorder, someone else could also be di diagnosed with that. And, but for them, it's different. What they're, what they need for their support system could be different. So 
it leaves so you can read like what we've done is we've read the the textbook definitions the information and stuff like that but at the end of the day um, we needed to know what Takia really needed. So we try to ask a lot of questions, basically, to try to understand for her as an individual, what she is going to thrive off of, what's going to make her successful, what's going to make her happy. Because I will say, like, a lot of the conversations that Takia and I have had, um, she's figuring out things along the way, but we we are able to figure things out together. Mm-hmm. So, but it all starts with a question. And as Takia mentioned before, it's like she doesn't always know the questions to ask, and she might even be wrapped up in her own mind so much that she's not really thinking about how to educate us, or if she needs to educate us, even if it's on something so small that she's dealing with herself. Um, again, it kind of goes back to, you know, it's, it is difficult for everyone to ask for help or to share their thoughts and feelings very openly and easily. So even though we say that we, we provide that type of environment, it's still easier said than done. So it, it definitely takes a two-way street where we need to ask questions to spark conversation. And what I think ends up happening is Takia can can not only feel comfortable, but that she she might think about just like that time, like, hey, you know, do you think you should get out of the house? Like, what's going on? Do you want to come with us somewhere? Do you want and and the answer was always no. But then, you know, she would come back a day or two later and say, you know what, I really reflected on your question. And this is this is what's going on with me. Um, So it might not be an immediate answer to a question. But Hopefully, the hope is that it does leave the parties walking away from the table, thinking about things a little bit more in order to drive more conversation and more questions and more interaction and more education. So I think that is probably the number one thing that I would say is, you know, after educating yourself on the textbook information is to make sure that you really do interact and engage each other in conversation, especially what was really important for us, like Takia mentioned, like going to therapy with her and asking that same question, what do we need to do as her support system? And then what should we hold Takia accountable for? And then also for her to hear that she needs to open up more. She needs to share her thoughts and feelings and she needs to be able to communicate what she needs, uh, you know, in order for us to receive it. That I think is probably the, the two biggest things that I would say. But then beyond that is the accountability piece. So once, once there is, you know, hopefully a plan put together um, of treatment and or recovery that as the support group or support system, you're able to kind of hold that person accountable for those goals that they're, they've set out. Now, what I mean by that is not like, you know, drill sergeant, like, oh, well, it's it's month three. Have you reached that goal? Because more than likely there isn't necessarily a timeline because you can't rush recovery. You can't rush the progress. But at the same time, I feel like we can kind of check in and say, hey, you know, I see you're doing really great with your podcast. What about your other goal of your finances? What's going on with that? And then she may or may not, or they may or may not have done something with that. And then from there, it's okay. So we checked in about that. Let's check in about your other goal, um, you know, and keep kind of going on from that. So not to overwhelm them 
with every goal that they may or may not have set for themselves. But but really, it's it's again just checking in in a loving way to to remind them and also to make sure that again you're you're gently pushing them towards progress is probably the the best way that I can explain it. And yeah. probably the top three things that I think goes with it, it go it, um, answers your question, basically. So the accountability also comes with even just small day-to-day stuff. Um, have you taken a shower? Have you cleaned your room? <laughs> like, I mean, it sounds very motherly, but sometimes you, you kind of have to look at it in that dynamic. Like, parent-child because, and I'm not demeaning her in any way, but that sometimes that's the dynamic that you kind of have, the role that you have to take when they're going through their program, I guess you could say. Yeah. I mean, yeah, obviously, of course, since I've been here, I don't think I've been pretty much like, of course, like making sure things are clean. And because again, I'm in a better, obviously, mental space because I'm taking my medication. I'm going to my appointments. And so I think those are really good ones, like asking questions, educating yourself, holding the person um, accountable, um, and then like really involving yourself like in their treatment. That's a big one. And because I think by doing that, then you're aware of like what their, what their triggers are, because there are other people who have different mental illness, whether it's like borderline personality disorder, Mm -hmm. bipolar disorder, and it brings out other things that I don't experience. And so by doing that, then the person feels like, okay, this person, this person actually cares about me. They want to see me do well. And even though I know that there, I have a lot of people in my circle and support group who want to see me do well, but it's, it's different when someone like is physically involved. It just, I feel like it just opens you up in a different way. I was, (laughs) I went so far as to say, I have a relationship with your mother on speed dial. If I need to call your mother, (laughs) I, you know, I would do that. And that was actually, uh, let me talk about that for a quick second. That that was another piece in the transition process because I felt like I didn't want to take, I didn't want to become Takiya's mother. That was not like, that's not what, you know, I had enough kids. I'm I'm a wife and all that. so even though, again, not diminishing the the dynamics and stuff, but that's kind of the role that I was playing because of the state that she was in and the transitions that she was making. I felt like I was our, I was going through a trial period of when my teenage daughters goes off to college and I'm having to kind of help educate her and help guide her through some of the things that she's going to be going through. Mm-hmm. Um so especially because like since my mom isn't physically here. Yes, that was really the main thing that I kind of felt like if if it was me and that, I think this is the 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 reason why maybe this was so successful is because the way that I think is I try to think put myself in someone else's position. If it was me, what would I need or what could I possibly have felt? And thankfully that tends to be pretty accurate. Just not always being selfish and always thinking about like, oh, uh, you know, I could have been that that person that's like, oh, my God, she asked for me for everything. I need to help her with everything. And, you know, I'm not her mother. Like I, I could have taken on more of a negative role. But at the end of the day, I'm like, that wouldn't have solved any problems. It would have created problems more problems, if you will. So I wanted to know, I wanted to stop and think for a second, 
Like if I was in this position, what would I, I need to get through it? So I think that helped me to relate to what Takiya was going through better. Instead of making it about me, I made it about her and tried to kind of turn the tables a little bit. Yeah. I even think about the time where, remember when I was like, this is so good. I was reading the four agreements and I was like, you got to read it. You got to read it. So anyone who hasn't read it, you should definitely read the four agreements. Because I think it really does help with like relationship building, character building, because it takes you out of yourself in a sense of not to take everything so personal Mm -hmm. and realize that not everything is about you. Essentially, everything was the third agreement. I think well, it was. Yeah, what not to take things personal. Yes. Yeah. So I think that was the third agreement. Yeah. And it takes you away from your uh, or outside of yourself to think about when people are doing things there. And it's, the best way that I can think about describing it is they're operating in like their level of consciousness. They're like so busy. They're like stuck in their own mm-hmm. world, interacting with your level of consciousness and in the state that you're in. So. I that's something that I had to learn is because I used to take a lot of things personal. I've definitely have uh, gotten better. And so I even think with reading that book, it helped our relationship because you wind up reading the book. I was more self-aware. I definitely, well, I did the audio because I'm not a big reader. I wish I was, but I did the audio version, (laughs) which was, was, which was just equally as great because Mm -hmm. I definitely walked away like, amazed and mesmerized and inspired and definitely looking at things completely different from a different perspective. So when I, when I said, so, so going back to your, your last question, one of the other things that I would also say is if you're not a family member, you know, biologically marriage, whatever you want to call it and stuff. Yeah. Relationship wise, a family member, For us, I didn't want to replace any of her family. So that's what I was saying is that um, I didn't want to take the place of her mother. So that was one of the things that I kept looking at is like when when I was helping her through her apartment stuff, it wasn't easy for her mom to just drive from New Jersey to come down here and help her with something like that, which is something that my mom, you know, helped guide me through when I was, you know, younger and stuff like that, too. So I basically physically took the role, but I didn't want to I wasn't replacing her. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of the the way that I looked at it. So when it came to the decision of Takiya moving in with us and what that looked like, again, I wanted to, and I I pushed for making sure that her mother was a part of it, Mm -hmm. was a part of the conversation, that she was a part of the transition and that she still, even to this day, is a part of the process. Because one of the things that we were also experiencing was that Takiya would say it felt like, let's put it, let me, let me rephrase that. So it felt like Takiya would share certain information and or thoughts or feelings around that to me in a different manner than what she would share with her mother or her, any other person, confidant person in her inner, inner circle and stuff. So it it was good for us to all hear the same information because I relied also on her mother to know what we were holding her accountable for and that her mother could also play a role. Even though she's physically not here, Taki and her mother are very close. So they talk literally like 10 times a day, if not more, whether it's via text, email, phone calls, 
Skyping, FaceTiming, any possible social, <laughs> any possible media outlet you can think of. They are, they know all about it and they do it. Even the new Marco Polo, I'm sure they, they figured out a way to do that. But so I say all that to say that I wanted her to, even though she physically wasn't here, because this was a learning process for her just as much as it was for us. So there was, and we, I'm sure that'll be a whole nother podcast too, but you know, that I just wanted to make sure that we all were on the same page. We were all hearing the same thing. We were all holding her accountable for the same goals or steps that she needed to complete and that it wasn't just us and Takia. Yeah, because I even think, too, going back to that, because that was the time where it was probably like maybe a month or two before I was going to move out of my place. And mm-hmm. so, like, it was like you were involved. I had my cousins who were involved. My mom wasn't involved. I didn't even know that y'all had a group text message about me. I'm like, oh, yeah. how are they having a group We te- had a Team Takia text message group. I was yeah. like, how do they have a text message group about me and I'm not even included in it? But they did. And so... You know, I it it does take like the whole the village to yeah, like how they say it. It's so cliche, but it's like so true because it's a, a you know a lot of people who have been involved, and that's why I was like, I really cannot take the credit. You know, it's been my grandmother has helped, even though she's like in New Jersey. Um, I have cousins who's who are and friends are down here. They all help. It's been in a, a different way. Yeah. Um, and so I'm really appreciative because I think about people who don't have a support system, you know, and how and how they're able to manage or don't have family and don't have friends and how they have to get through a mental illness or even like they're in recovery from a drug addiction. Just those pieces are those issues that someone are, they're going through. You need people to help you and walk you through that process. And so that's why I always encourage people to go to therapy because your therapy, you know, your therapist is also a part of your support system. Mm -hmm. So it's just psychiatrists or maybe you're working with a social worker. And your therapist Um, definitely is, is one of us. I could say because mm-hmm. she's gone to events that you've had. Mm-hmm. Um, so she she not only has been there as a sounding board in your sessions, but she has also played a part and supported you with certain events. Mm-hmm. Physically being mm-hmm. there as moral support as well, which I think is pretty awesome. I don't know how many therapists do that, but it doesn't. And that could be a stigma too. That, <laughs> that's out there that therapists don't do stuff like that, um, that they only see their, their um, clientele in, in an office setting. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I feel like that makes a huge difference mm-hmm. in your recovery, but also um, your support system is knowing who will not only just show up from, you know, the mental and emotional support to also back it up with some action and and take on some physical support as well. Yeah, because I mean, and my therapist has not just helped me through my mental um, health challenges, but even down to like what I want to do with my career and how I was going to combine my you know, my new passion of doing more advocacy work for mental illness and encouraging me to join uh, NAMI, you know, to help with advocacy and do more with them or um, how I was going to put that with my entertainment background. She even talked, you know, figured out, helped me figure that out. And then, yeah, again, physically being there and encouraging me saying like, yeah, you, you know, you should really do that and letting, letting me know that she's really proud of me. And so I know, I feel like my therapist has gone above and beyond than what a typical therapist would do. Yeah. 
So, yeah. Shout out to Dr. Tucker. I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if there's anything else that you want to add before we wrap up. Really, it's just, it's honestly been an amazing journey to be here for you, to see the progress that you have made in the short period of time since you've been with us. But um, even though it's been a roller coaster ride since day one of Mm -hmm. 2016, but no matter what, I feel like even though you felt like you were reverting backwards or you were moving backwards or taking steps backwards um, at the end of the day. And I remember you even mentioning something about you wanted to be back to the old Takia. Well, and we had that conversation that, there is no old anybody. Um, you know, even for myself, I I don't I couldn't even imagine saying I want to be the old Liz because there's always gonna as long as you're evolving, there's gonna be a new Liz and there's gonna be a new Takia. And so the key to that is to evolve and take life experiences and I know it's easier said than done to not look at them so negatively or pessimistic um, to look at them from a positive standpoint. Everything does happen for a reason. And I know Takia said this in past podcasts and in past conversations that she and I have had, but um, God doesn't give you more than you can handle. You go through challenges, some harder than others, but it's to make you stronger and wiser and to be able to grow and to, again, to continue to evolve from those experiences. Um, And as long as you look at them in a positive way and spin it in a positive way, then I feel like you're just going to keep progressing and you're going to keep evolving. But if you look at it in the opposite way, then I just see people really just kind of and moving backwards or staying stagnant um, and staying unhappy and staying in that negative space and constantly giving off that negative energy as opposed to that positive energy into the universe to really make sure that you appreciate your blessings. So I'm going to take a break and then come back with the therapist shout out. So for this week's therapist shout out, it goes to Dr. Bryant and she is based in Upper Marlboro, Maryland. I do not have a website for her, but she does have a psychology today profile and I will put her profile in the show notes. So she specializes in family conflict, relationship issues, marital and premarital counseling, uh, as well as mood disorders, um, you know, anxiety, depression, bipolar disorder. She works, uh, specializes also in um, domestic violence, grief, life transition, uh, spirituality, self-esteem, and parenting, men issues. Uh, she, she also works with um, lesbian, uh, bisexual, and gay individuals. And she also, her client focus, her religious uh, orientation is Christian. So she actually, and she also accepts uh, ins- insurance as well too, because some um, some therapists may not accept insurance and they, so they may have where you got to pay cash uh, or they may have a sliding scale, but she does of course accept cash and MasterCard and PayPal and all that. But she is, uh, again, like I said, she does accept insurance. I, like I said, do not have her website, but I will be sure to include her Psychology Today profile 
which includes her email and phone number so you can check her out. And again, she's based in Upper Marlboro, Maryland, and that is Dr. Bryant. So for this week's Mind, Body, and Soulness segment, I actually talked about it briefly in the beginning of the episode, but I wanted to talk about some positive benefits of taking a social media detox. Um, we spend a lot of time on social media. Like we exist in this digital world that sometimes become a great escape from reality. And while escapes are okay for for some time, but if you're escaping from your reality and not dealing with issues or trying to keep up a facade for other people, that is an issue. And of course, I'm always going to suggest therapy. But social media detoxes are very beneficial for your mental health. One being uh, you break the social comparison cycle. We talk about the comparison uh, game, if you will, all the time. Scientists have discovered that when most people who use social media, they end up comparing themselves to the lives of everyone they know. And the problem with that is that it can have a terrible impact on your self-esteem. For example, if you see everyone getting married, having babies, and you're still single, you may end up feeling isolated and lonely. And that can lead to depression for some people. So really uh, breaking away from this unhealthy cycle by taking a break from social media so that you can connect with all of the great things that are already happening in your life. Maybe you started a business. Maybe you went back to school. Maybe your child um, just got um, a 4.0 this semester. Um, There are so many things in life that we could be grateful for. And sometimes social media, it can make you really forget about the things that you are blessed with that so many people may not have. Um, you also, another benefit is that you'll stop feeling so competitive. Um, and even if you aren't aware of it, like social media does bring out your competitive side because you feel like you have to, uh, you know, like before we talked about like sleep when you're dead, you're always grinding out here. Social media makes you feel like you're not doing enough. So you feel like, oh, well, I'm not going to sleep. And I'm going to just keep working. I'm going to keep grinding so I could get this money or so this business could pop off or whatever things you tell yourself. It's okay to be a little competitive, competitive, but the thing is, Facebook, for instance, is to attract your, you know, you attract your attentions to posts. So you're always being fed with a lot. And each interaction and comment is a measure of how popular a particular post is, which can make you strive to like outdo others and even yourself. So people who are always constantly posting on social media, always uh, feel a need to 
show off. Like the thing is, I've said it before, social media is filtered. And I don't just mean by the filters that we use on Instagram. I mean that people pick and choose the things that they want to share. They highlight the best parts of their lives. Like nobody's out here talking about how they were struggling with suicidal thoughts. Well, I am, but that's, I mean, well, I'm not struggling them with them uh, during this time because obviously I've been doing very well in my treatment. But I say I am in the sense that I have talked about it. I've been open about it. Nobody's sitting here saying um, if they, I'm not going to say they're they're not, but not as many people out here saying um, I have body image issues and I don't like the body that I see, or I just failed the class and I'm not going to be able to graduate. Or I was just diagnosed with bipolar disorder and this really sucks. Or I hate taking my medication or I don't feel good enough because I'm 28 and I'm not married and I don't have kids and I don't have a house and the white picket fence and the car and the dog and all these things that are just literally constantly flying through our feed or our timeline is it really does impact your mood and it makes you extremely competitive. Another thing when it comes to uh, social media, studies have shown that the more you spend on social media, the more likely you are to develop depression. Additionally, the amount of time that you spend on social media is directly related to whether or not you feel stressed out or happy. So when you take a social media detox, you will improve your mood. Um, I have to sometimes, you know, catch myself. I saw someone who, if I'm being honest, I'm like just going to keep it real. Someone who I went to high school with and, you know, they recently bought a house and I had to like catch myself because I was like, oh, like, you know, I, I want to buy a home. And, and then I had to tell myself, wait, hold up. Like, your time will come. Like, you just launched a business. You started a podcast. Um, I have a really big announcement coming out really soon. I can't wait to share with y'all. I was about to say it, but I'll wait for it to come. Um, I have some great things happening in my life. And like I said, it just pulls you away um, because then you'll start thinking that you're not good enough. And th those feelings are not good. And so just really taking a break from Facebook and Twitter and Snapchat and Instagram and any other social media that you may use to just focus on those things that make you feel good. Read, journal, you know, it really does improve your mood. The bad thing about social media um, is that you fear that you're always missing out on something. Like you always got to recheck your, uh, refresh your, your notifications. Uh, you got to see if somebody checked how many people saw your story, how many people read your, um, uh, how many people like something or it's just, it, it just gets to be very, uh, I don't want to, I guess the word is vicious. Um, computer world, they pointed out that social media is engineered to be as addictive as crack cocaine. Now y'all that's serious. Like for real, that when you first stop using social media, you can actually expect to feel withdrawal symptoms. Like that's, I don't want to use the word crazy since, you know, we talked about mental health, but that's ridiculous. Like 
the fact that we we're so addicted to social media and we fear that we're going to miss out on something that we actually go through withdrawals when we're not on social media. So scientists say that it is due to the naturally ingrained fear of missing out. You know, the thing is because we're always on our phone. After all, they say, according to this article on lifehack.org, that you could miss something entertaining or important if you if you just step away from your laptop or your smartphone. And I'll be sure to put this article in the, the show notes so you can refer back to it. When you also pull away from social media, is that it gives you the opportunity to connect with the real world. Like spend time with your children, spend time with your, your cousins, spend time with your girls, hang out with the bros, like... Hang out with your boo. Like, use that time to really get away from this digital world and have actual human, like, in-person, human contact. And sadly, people who spend a lot of time on social media, you know, there has been studies and sites report that feeling lonely, uh, people feel lonely and isolated in real life. So think about this. How is it that you have, let's say, 10,000 followers, hypothetically speaking, yet you feel lonely in real life? Like, the, the irony in that is that you don't have anyone or feel connected to anyone in your real life, yet you have all these people that you're connected to on social media. That's an issue. It it truly is. And of course, I will always recommend therapy to work through that. They um, and they are also more likely to suffer from a weakened immune system. So if feelings of being isolated and and lonely in real life, that it impacts your immune system, like literally everything impacts your mental health, like your brain is an organ and it helps operate our entire body. And it's important that we take care of it. Um, And so the article says that the good news is even that if you're an introvert and uncomfortable with a lot of in-person interaction, you can boost your mood by simply going out in public. Take, Take yourself to your favorite park or restaurant if you prefer to be alone. You can even go to a movie or a concert if you want to make new friends or consider using a service such as Meetup uh, to find like-minded individuals. So... To my surprise, y'all, y'all would be really surprised that I'm an introvert. And I have this in common with, um, shout out to Tatum, Tamia from the Blessed and Bossed Up podcast. Hey, girl. So she's also talked about how she's an introvert and how people probably think that introverts are like in the corner, rocking back, cradling back and forth, like reading a book or like just being really isolated from the world. Y'all know I'm a piece of people person. So I love people. I love meeting new people. I love talking. If you haven't noticed that by now, I used to get in kindergarten uh, in trouble in kindergarten for talking too much. Uh, well, you see where that has gotten me. I have a podcast, so I can talk as long as I want to. <laughs> no, but getting back to what I was saying, that what was I saying that fast? Lord, I, I forgot my train of thought. Oh yeah, so being an intro, introvert. So yes, I am an introvert. And people think that maybe I'll do an episode on talking about introverts and ambiverts and extroverts. Um, because sometimes we get it misconstrued. You think that because you're bubbly and you're happy, I mean, or you're like you're a naturally outgoing person that you're an extrovert. That's my personality. 
I'm an outgoing, uh, bubbly and funny person. And I enjoy being around people. But here's the thing. When I am around a large group of people for days at a time, it sucks the life out of me. So I need time to pull away, to regroup. And I pull my energy internally. So extroverts are people who feel alive and um, and get energy from being around a lot of people. I don't get energy from being around a lot of people. It actually takes a lot of energy from me. While I very much so enjoy people and I truly enjoy talking to them and I like making new friends. Uh, but the thing is, I have to be very mindful about that. So like my family, when they come down from Jersey and I have spent time with them, I love them. But after two days, I'm like, oh, y'all got to go. You know, it's, it's too much. Like I literally feel tired. Like I feel worn out, like zapped. So I say that to say it helps you, you know, you have to really figure out what kind of works, what works for you. Um, so if you know you're an introvert and you may be quiet, because there are introverts, of course, who may be quiet and timid into themselves. Um, but it's still really important to have um, human and in-person um, interaction. And another benefit to taking a social media uh, detox is that you can live in the moment. Like, that's something I really had to work on, if I'm being really honest. I mean, I, y'all, y'all, I'm... I'm being honest on this podcast. I, I just, I'm, I'm no longer walking through life like uh, acting like everything is uh, all great all the time. I, I have my my moments. I have fears and, you know, and have experienced life just like the next person. So, but I struggled with living in the moment because of my childhood. I always and the things that I saw, I spent a lot of time in the future because I always wanted to like get to college and I wanted to leave out of my mom's house. And like, I just always was five to maybe even 10 years ahead. I just always thought about the future because I didn't like my present. And so in therapy, I really had to work through living in the moment. Uh, It took a lot. It really did take a lot to just physically be present in the moment. And sometimes I have to catch myself because like literally with the takeoff of the podcast and the brand, I literally, I mean, I always had my phone in my hand before, but like I always have my phone with me because like I'm seeing like if an email comes through, I want to respond to it or like I, or, or something, an idea or something will pop up in my head and like I need to um, email myself. Like if I'm happy to be driving, I'll pull over. I need to write this email to myself so I won't forget. Um, and so I always have my phone uh, in my hand. But the problem is when you're around people, let's say I'm, excuse me, let's say I'm spending time with friends or family members, I should be present in that moment. Like we're, we're a lot of us are guilty of scrolling through uh, social media while we're hanging out with um, family members. I mean, it, it's, I think it's okay occasionally, but I do believe in being physically present with talking to people. And I was actually at a dinner and someone was like, what is it? What's going on with your phone? You seem really in tune with it. And it, it kind of ch- made me check myself. I was like, I I was like, oh, I'm responding to something I recently posted because I had posted something on, I can't remember, I think it was Instagram and like my notifications was going off. And so I was like responding to everybody while at this dinner. Like I, you know, like 
I should have just taken that time and respond to it later. Sometimes I think with social media, it's like I feel the pressure to like respond immediately. And sometimes I have to check myself and be like, no, I don't have to respond right away. Like I, they, you know, it can wait. I don't have to respond to that email right away because it adds this pressure to you. And the thing that the article it says, do you post everything you do to Facebook while each activity or life event is actually happening? There have been several instances of people updating their Facebook and Twitter accounts um, immediately after getting married. Now, that is interesting when you should be enjoying your honeymoon. But but anyway, um, I, I think that it, it does. It, it takes us, it pulls us away from reality. And sometimes I think it makes us overlook small blessings. It truly does. So it's okay it's for us to document our life and, and you know, share our accomplishments and things that are going on in our life. It is, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that, but it can also become a burden and it, it can take you out of the moment. So if you're living everything through the lens of social media, instead of directly interacting with people and the actually being in the moment and experiencing it, you, you're going to experience a, a, a lower quality and become, and it's going to become a lower quality um, experience, or I guess less memorable experience. Um, and so just really be be mindful about that. And then one of the other things is that you get, you get mad free time. Mad is like in Jersey, like a lot, or like how people say, uh, hella. So you get mad free time or a lot of free time if I want to be politically correct for all of my elite people. Um, you get a lot of free time because like when I take time off social media, you want to know what I do? I read books. Like I'm a bookworm. I love books. And I'm actually, um, oh, here we go. Me going off on a tangent. I was actually upset. I mean, not upset, but I guess a little upset that I didn't spend a lot of time reading like as a kid, like I really didn't enjoy reading. Um, or I don't feel like it was, I was pushed enough to read. Like my mom would say things like if I'm like, if I would say as a kid, like I'm bored, she would be like, go read a book. But I mean, Go read a book. Like, who wants to read a book as a kid? But I, I just, I don't know. I just wish that I did more reading as a kid. But as an adult, let me tell y'all, I love reading. So when I take my social uh, media detox, I am reading books. I like, I have read on my Kindle. So I like to have like on the Kindle, it shows you the percentage of how much you have finished in the book. So like you're 70% or 80% through with the book. I like racing to see the percentage go up to see how fast I can read a book. That's like an internal uh, competition, I guess, that I have with myself. But I do. Um, also, walking for um, you know for thirty minutes a day is a huge um, benefit to not just your mental health but your physical health. And we talked about the benefits of exercise as it pertains to your mental health. And we'll dive in more with that. I'll work on doing that for a future episode. But um, you can clean. Um, you can spend time with family. Like one of the things that I love to do is spend time with my little cousins and my little nieces and my siblings, of course. I'm literally a baby magnet. Anyone who knows me will tell you I am a baby magnet. Like I started babysitting kids at uh, nine years old. Like I'm not joking. I changed my first diaper at nine. So I have always been around kids. I worked, used to work at a daycare in high school. I'm always babysitting um, kids love me. Uh, or some people call me the baby whisperer. Like I am great with kids. Um, but 
So I enjoy being around my nieces and my little cousins and my siblings is, is I have a great time with them. That's something that when I'm in taking time off of social media that I want to make sure that I'm like really present for them. Um, like my little niece, sometimes she'll say like, cause I'm always working. I always have like my laptop open and she's always like, why are you got your computer open? And she'll be like, um, what are you, what are you doing today? She's like, oh, let me guess. She got to work. You got a lot of work. Even like she was on her spring break last week. And she was like, I just don't understand. Like how come I get to take a spring break? And like, you don't get to have a spring break. Um, but the thing is, we know entrepreneurship, I mean, yes, we take breaks, but since I'm in the infancy stages, I do spend a lot of time on the computer and just working a lot. You know, it, it takes a lot to get a business up and running. And I have a lot, many great things in the works that I can't wait to share. But I say all that to say, you know, when you take time away from social media, you get to use that time, put that time somewhere else. Maybe you've been thinking about writing a book write a book. Maybe you've been wanting to try a new workout class, try that. Maybe you've been wanting to travel. How about you take a getaway, a little, maybe a staycation, or you go get a hotel room and uh, for the weekend and uh, buy yourself, even if you don't got a boo, like buy yourself and spend time with yourself. Because let me tell y'all, I would definitely do that. I'll get my Himalayan salt, pink Himalayan salt, I'm sorry, my essential oils, my diffusers, get some candles, it will be on and popping by myself. Like, I love spending time by myself. I, I truly do. Like I said, yes, I love people, but oh, I love Kia time. So I really hope that that gave you some insight to some benefits of doing a social media detox. Maybe we could all, I was going to say maybe we can all do a challenge, but I mean, I communicate with a lot of y'all on social media. So I don't know. We had, we'll have to probably figure that one out. But I just want to encourage you all, you know, to take breaks from social media and I hope something that was shared just gives you something to think about and it put things into perspective for you all right fireflies so that wraps up another episode of the fireflies unite podcast with me of course Kia this was a awesome awesome episode and I of course pray and hope that you got some very valuable information and are encouraged to take control of your mental health. Oh, I also want to encourage you all to not just share the podcast, but I want to encourage you all to continue to write in. Some people sometimes will email me questions and what I'll do sometimes with the questions is when I have interviews, I'll incorporate the questions into the interview that way. So if you have any questions that you would like me to address on the podcast, we still have the journal entry segment. We haven't really been getting anyone writing in on that. So feel free if you if you want to submit something. Again, your name always remains anonymous if you have a situation that you would like some guidance on or how to handle it. Um, the email is podcast at fireflyesunite.com. Again, it's podcast at fireflyesunite.com to send any inquiries that you have in regards to the podcast. So even if you want me to cover certain topics, you have suggestions, just send it right on that to to the email. Oh, I have to also share announcements. Announcements, I almost forgot. I have to make sure that I get this date right. On the 18th in Washington, D.C., at Busboys and Poets, I will be speaking on a panel to discuss, uh, talk about black women and suicide. Of course, many of you know that I am a suicide survivor and the panel is given by No More Martyrs. 
you can actually get your tickets on Eventbrite and I will leave the um, the Eventbrite link in the show notes and I'm also make sure that I include it in my Instagram, um, my uh, Instagram, the link for Instagram. So the event is uh, April 18th and again, it's at Busboys and Poets in Washington, D.C. And uh, the I will make sure I leave that information in the show notes so you can purchase your tickets to attend that event. I look forward to meeting some of you in person um, through this event. And I'm really, really excited. Shout out to No More Martyrs. They're a campaign that really works to create a community for Black women to discuss their mental health. And I'm super excited uh, with the, you know, to meet and have this discussion with uh, black other black women. So that's it, you all. Uh, y'all know I'm always sending y'all positive vibes. I'm always sending them uh, many blessings. And you guys have a great week. And I will talk to you all next week. I hope that you obtain tools and resources from the Fireflies Unite podcast to help you manage your mental health. But please do not use it as a substitute for a relationship with a licensed therapist or psychiatrist. Let's continue the conversation by following me on Fireflies Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.